You're listening to the Cathedral Podcast. To learn more about Cathedral, like service times or how to get connected with a small group, visit wearecathedral.com. Today's message comes from Pastor Mike Lewis. I told you guys a few weeks back, I asked how many hadn't heard me speak since uh, I retired since last August, and I spoke a few weeks ago. And one thing I said to you was that if you're new, I love that because I can use all my old jokes. <laughs> and then I thought this week, I thought, who cares? I'm just going to give you my two favorite jokes anyway, whether you're here or not. So I, this is one I've, I just, I've used several times, but I always just love this one. Uh, it's a cowboy who moved to Wyoming. He moved there from Texas. So he was kind of used to that terrain. He walks into a bar and he orders three mugs of beer. Sits back in the back of the room. And he starts in sequence, sipping out of each one in turn. And when he finishes them, he goes back to the bar. He orders three more. Goes back to the same place, does the same thing. Bartenders come around cleaning up a little bit and uh, walked up to the table and said, Sir, I, I don't know if you know this or not, but, you know, beer, once you comes out, it, when it sets for a while, it kind of loses Bluster. And so if you'd order one at a time, I think it would probably taste better for you. He said, well, <clears throat> he said, I have two brothers. He said, one's in Arizona and one's in Colorado. And it says, and so when we left our home in Texas, we made a promise to each other that when we drink, we would drink together, all three of us. And so we'd have a beer for each one of us. So that's the reason I ordered three. The bartender said, oh, that makes sense. And that's probably a good custom for you guys. So I'll just leave it there. So the cowboy kept coming back, kept coming back to the bar, same drink, same place, sit at the back. And one day he comes in and instead of three, he orders two. Bartenders thought for a moment and he came back for the bar for the second round. And the bartender said to him, I don't want to intrude or anything, but I noticed you ordered two. And so I just want to tell you that my condolences are with you. He kind of looked confused for a moment and then he thought, uh, that's what he thinks. And so then he said back to the bartender, he says, uh, no, 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 no. Everybody's fine. My brothers are fine. It's just my wife and I, we accepted Christ in the Baptist church down the street, and we had to quit drinking. (laughs) He said, but it hasn't affected my brothers at all. Father asked his eight-year-old son for dinner with everything going on in the school system these days. He asked him, how was school today? He said, that's fine. He said, what did y'all talk about? He said, well, today we talked about how you make babies. And dad's ears perked up and struggling to keep his composure. He said, uh, and how does that happen? <laughs> Eight-year-old boy said, oh, dad, it's easy. You just drop the Y and add I-E-S. Explain that to your neighbor. Explain that. They're not going to get it. Oh, you just got it. Okay. All right. Two men sitting in a bar. Now, why are we in the bars this morning? They're looking at each other, and uh, the influence of the last few hours kind of started registering on their face. And, and uh, finally, one looked at the other one, and he said, uh, <clears throat> where are you from? He said, well, I'm from a little town outside of St. Louis. The guy responded, he said, you know, I'm, I'm from a town outside of St. Louis. He said, no, you're not. He said, yeah, I am. It's a little town called Bonnetville. The guy said, you're kidding me. He said, I'm from Bonnetville. He said, no, you're not. He said, yeah, I am. He said, I went to Lafayette High School, graduated in 72. He said, no, 
I went to Lafayette High School and graduated in 72. This is uncanny. He said, no, no not at all. I said, that's exactly what happened. He said, uh, where'd you live? He said, I lived on Elm Street. The other guy said, no, I lived on Elm Street. He said, I actually lived at 2283 Elm Street. The other guy looked back and said, no, I lived at 2283 Elm Street. Phone rings. The bartender answered the phone. It's his wife. He said, well, how's it going, honey? The bartender said, well, it's going fine. It's pretty slow. He said, nobody's here much except the Smith twins, and they're getting drunk again. <laughs> All right. Help us, Lord Jesus. Okay. <laughs> I want to read a scripture this morning from Mark chapter 2. And... Uh, <clears throat> It starts like this. After a few days, Jesus returned to Capernaum, which was his hometown. Uh, which when we go to Israel, we'll go and spend some time there in Capernaum. The word got around that Jesus was back and the crowd gathered and they jammed the entrance so nobody could get in or out. And he was teaching the word. And they brought a paraplegic to him and it was carried by four men. And they, were able, uh, they weren't able to get in because of the crowd. They removed part of the roof and lowered the paraplegic on a stretcher. I find this really interesting, that Jesus' response is that he was impressed by their bold belief. And Jesus said to the paraplegic, son, I forgive your sins. Some of the religious scholars sitting around, they were terribly upset. They started whispering to themselves, he, he can't do this. That's blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew what they were thinking, of course, and so and why they were so skeptical. And so he simply asked them a question, which is simpler. For me to say to the paraplegic, I forgive your sins? Or for me to say, get up and take up your stretcher and start walking? Well, just to clear things up, I am the Son of Man, and I have been given authority to do either one or both. So now he's decided to exercise his authority. Pick up your, your, your mat and your stretcher and go home. And the man did, got up, grabbed his stretcher, and walked out. And everyone was there watching, and they rubbed their eyes stunned, and they praised God, saying... We have never seen anything like this before. Let's pray. Father, for the next few moments, we just pray for a special grace and anointing. The anointing that's on your word, let it penetrate our minds and our heart. And let it explode with revelation and understanding for us. Holy Spirit, thank you that you said you're the teacher. And so we pray you do what you do best now. Would you teach us your word in Jesus' name? Amen. All right, so these, <clears throat> the place is jammed. Jesus is teaching, and they're excited. And uh, these four guys come with a stretcher. Well, the first thing I found interesting about this is the dynamics between several of these characters. And that's what I want to talk about. Three of them specifically I want to talk about. And the first one is his friends. These four guys that brought him. Now, this guy, obviously he was paralyzed and probably forgotten for a lot of his friends. They hung around for a while, but then they quietly forgotten, moved on. And, um, but not these four. And what I found interesting is they wanted to see Jesus, but they wanted their friend to see Jesus. And it got me thinking, now, we want to see Jesus. Many of you have opened your heart. You've accepted him. Many of you know him. 
Many of you have met him. But how are you doing with the desire for your friends to see him? How are you doing with your desire to see your friends to meet him? Is, is that a part of your, your mindset? Is that a part of your understanding of purpose? Is that a part of your understanding of why God has you on the planet? That when he gave the Great Commission to go into all the world, that Great Commission put something on the inside of us that is our mission statement. And this desire to see people come was part of the early foundation of this church. Because part of, part of what God did in planting cathedral is Dean and I had served at three other churches. And one of the things that we didn't see often enough was people accepting Christ. When we would attend like this, and we would have great services. But then, as the Lord prepared, started preparing us to start this church, I remember sitting in a service quite like this. We were at Forest Drive in, up in Columbia Baptist Church, and we were associate pastors, and I was sitting like this, and the pastor was preaching. And I started having this internal thing happening with me. And what started happening inside of me was I just started in my imagination picturing the cars going in front of the church. It would be very much like if you would now picture the cars going on Ashley Phosphate. And I sat there started, and I started asking this question. Do we really care? How concerned are we in the house of everybody outside the house? And I just started kind of dialing that up inside of me. How concerned are we? Well, that led to a series of things that when, by the time we came and planted and started Cathedral, I mean, our goal, I made it so obvious and clear. Our goal, you know, God, we have got to reach the world. I mean, this is wonderful, and I love the fellowship. The discipleship is great. But we got to do something. And I started thinking kind of like a businessman. You know, if you added up an accumulation of your time and your hours and looked at the product, are you actually producing for the time? And so I actually figured up how much time we spent in church in a year. And I multiplied it by manpower, but got the hours and then asked this question. What investing this amount of hours, what are we producing in terms of outcome and growth for the kingdom? And what I found out was when I ran the numbers that we spent a lot of time together. But we didn't bring very many people along with us. So when we started this church, part of our prayer was, God, you got to help us. you got to help us reach lost people. I don't want to build a church, for you to build a church, out of people coming from other churches around just and that it'd be a collective exchange in the kingdom. I want people's lives to be changed. And so that got to be a part of our culture. And so, I mean, and we talked about it and we, we pushed it and we drove it. And, and I, I remember back in those days, you'd walk through the foyer and there'd be oftentimes be folks walking in the foyer. And if you would, you, you would talk to them, they would say, guess who's coming today? So I got my dad coming. You know, he hadn't been in church in 10 years. Oh, I got my ex coming. <laughs> that really was interesting to see them all sitting on the same seat together, you know. 
But here's what, they, here's what they, a person actually told me. Said, I'm going to buy my ex because obviously I, I still care for them. I mean, you know, as a person. But then they said, but if we'd have been here, we'd have never got divorced. Interesting. But then you would find them and they would, sometimes they would come in service and you'd see them sit on the back because they never came. You could sense the disappointment. And after service, I'd find them and say, give it another go. Just, just stay at it. But it was such a passion. How, how are you doing with that? Is, is there anybody in your world that needs an encounter? And you may be that person. There's a similar story we find in the book of Acts in the ninth chapter. And it's, it's about Saul who became the apostle Paul. It says, when many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. In their plot, it became known to Saul that they were watching the gates night, it says day and night, in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, and they lowered him in a, in a what? A basket. And what happened is that night came. Paul obviously needed to get out of the city for safety. So four men, very much like this story we're reading, he got in a basket. If you've been over to Israel or any other place in the Middle East, you'll, you'll notice how high the walls are. There are huge walls around these cities. And so they got him in a basket, and four guys lowered the basket down, and the apostle Paul walked away safe. All they did is hold ropes. You, you know, in order to change the world, all you got to do is hold a rope. Because in that basket was the apostle that would go from there into Europe and bring the message of Christ that ended up going all around the world. And do you know, we don't even know who those four people were. You know, it don't matter. But all they did was they were rope holders. And they held the rope and lowered him down to safety. All the guys did in their first story was hold the ropes and bring a guy disassemble part of a roof and let him down in the presence of Jesus. Rope holders. <clears throat> There's a world championship that was going on in Budapest. <clears throat> they were swimming in the pool and Anita, they looked around and she was one of the participants. The coach, who was Andrea, looked around and Anita was not swimming anymore. She had gone to the bottom of the pool and was unconscious. The coach happened to be scanning around and looked and noticed something was different. Something was not happening, was supposed to be happening, and then noticed her at the bottom of the pool. Jumped in with her clothes on, swam down. She was totally unconscious, could not help at all in coming up. She had to totally bring her up. And she knew what to do, and she did, and saved her life. But she said it was a matter of short amount of time she would have been gone. The reason I give you that illustration is because I'm going to ask you a question. And that is, if you are missing, if you happen to go down, who's going to notice it? Who's going to, who's going to look at the landscape? And say, you know, I hadn't seen so-and-so or 
what's going on with something? So or, the last time I talked to you, I just, there's something in your voice, there's something going on with you. I just, I noticed something that draws me to you and I feel like I may need to help you. Is there someone or would you just be at the bottom of the pool? Because, friends, rope holders don't happen overnight. It takes time. It takes an investment in relationships. It, it takes work. And I had a good friend of mine who went to be with the Lord, and we had been friends for over 40 years. And so someone told me afterwards, after the funeral, they said, Mike, I believe God's going to give you another friend like that. So I walked away because they were, they were being nice. <clears throat> and wanting to be helpful, but I couldn't help but to think, nah, I don't think that's going to happen. Not because I'm doubt, but because I don't have another 40 years to invest. Because I have a 40-year relationship. So I'm saying this to you to say to you that every person has rope holders. But you have to cultivate them. You have to work at it. You know, it's interesting because I'm always reading books. You all know that from my history. So anytime I either a subject matter or a life transition or something's going on, I'm, I'm going to be reading about it. So for the last number of years, guess what I've been reading about? Retirement. <laughs> That's a boring subject, I'm telling you. That's <laughs> a boring subject. But interesting because one of the guys I was reading after, he, he was a, um, a French horn player. And, and he was world class. I mean, he, he was Carnegie Hall solo world-class but he peaked out at 28 years old and uh i said 28 and he said i knew everybody around the world so i knew i could get better and go back out he says i couldn't he said i had peaked it was done and anybody knows anything about this kind of stuff in the music he said you can't you can't just stay you have got to increase and get better so i knew if i couldn't do that i was done so he was so he went back to school and actually became a professor and then, of course, he wrote the book on how you peek out. But one thing he says in the book, he has about five things to get ready for retirement. Of course, obviously, one is money. But right along beside that is relationships. And he asked the question, do you have relationships in place that's going to support you through this stage of life? Because they're important. And you can't all of a sudden start at the end, and have these deep relationships. You got, you got to invest something in them to have them ready. And so he said, we looked around, and we didn't have them, at least enough to sustain us. We had, you know, some people. But he said, in order to have a group that is, could sustain us. And so he said, what we did, we came up with a plan. And his, their plan was they would go out to eat with couples and would kind of be like dating. You know, after they went out to eat and they spent some time with a couple, he and the wife would go and say, well, how'd you like them? <laughs> I thought they were nice. Well, did anything just resonate in you that you want us to do this again? Nah. <laughs> or yes. So let's have a second date. And they would go out. And that's, he said, how we started building relationships that would take us into the future. I just thought it was an interesting point. I'd never seen a point like that. Well, same is true here. These things have to be developed. So the question is, who will do that for you? You know, one of the things the biologists said, how they measure, <clears throat> these are the secular folks now, 
animal kingdom, which we know is hugely different than the human. But one way they measure the difference is how they suffer and how pain works. Because the lower level of life you got, the less pain you got. So by the time you get down to a worm, if you happen to accidentally step on them, don't worry about it. They don't have a lot going on. <laughs> on the other hand, you step on your kid's toe. It's a higher form of life. You stump your toe in the middle of the night, go into the refrigerator to get a banana pudding. <laughs> and you will grab that toe. And if you could stick it in your mouth, you would. <laughs> well, could I suggest to you another possible resignation for a higher form of life? is not only to feel pain, but to be able to have sympathy and empathy for other people who are in pain. And that's exactly what Jesus did. These friends are incredibly important. You know, I've, I've read this scripture. I've read it to you probably, I don't know, 100 times. But I've never caught this word in it. And y'all know y'all all have. I'm slow. But I might. But I want you to see if you can catch this, this phrase, this word with me. Let's read this first together. All right, let's read it together on the screen. All right, <clears throat> this is my commandment. Let's go with John. All right, let's read it together. This is my commandment that you love. Oh, I thought this was all about loving God. Book of John says, if you say you love me, but you don't love your brother, you don't love me. You're deceiving yourself. Because there's a real tight connection between loving God and loving people. But what this, go on, let's go on with me now. I have loved you, and read with me, no one else has a greater love than this to lay down his life for Jesus Christ. To be a martyr and die for him. No, who you die for? I mean, all y'all knew that, right? I just, when I just read that, I thought, I don't know if I've ever seen that. Because I love you. <laughs> it's a different level right then, ain't it? Can, can, I, can I just have a time out real quick? This is... This happened to me when I was preparing, so it's pretty heavy on my heart. But I won't go into the whole thing, but I just want to drop a seed. Could I? Sure. I think it's, it will partly be prophetic as well. And I just want to raise your alertness on this. How many of you know the days we're living in are different days? Yes? How many of you know we are in the technically, scriptural-wise, the last days? I know they started in the book of Acts. I don't mean like it's all going to wrap up tomorrow. We've been in it for a while. But it's the signs are obviously moving us quicker down the pace with using the illustration of a woman's pregnancy and the, the pain is getting faster and faster. Anybody, ladies, can say amen? And once they start getting to a certain place, you're going to have a baby. Yes? Well, we have pretty fastly moving right now. Now, if you read the scripture and do the signs of the times in the last days, there is so much about relationships 
so much of what you see going on right now with a lack of value of life, a lack of value of respect, a lack of honoring one another, a lack of the gentlemen and ladies like of disagreement and having disagreement, but still respect and loving each other. I mean, the Bible said in the last day, kids will not be thankful. Anybody think we're living there yet? It says in the last day, covenants will be broken. I, part of what I interpret it is men and women just won't have any depth of commitment. They won't commit to anything. If they do, they're easy to get out of it, including marriages. They're truce breakers. It's like, it's like in the last days, the thing that makes us deep and, and, uh, and human, and it, it just gets cheapened. And I started thinking, for years, growing up as a boy, I've always heard about keeping the world out of the church. You know, which is all those who drink and chew and, well, I forget the other one you want to do. I remember Macy came, came home one time and she went to a good little fundamental school. So she came home as a little girl and they had a message that day in chapel. So she comes home and she looks up at me and said, Daddy? I said, yeah. She said, I am going to never drink. I said, well, good. And I am going to never use drugs. I said, that's good. And I'm going to never mix bathe. Now, you got to be a fundamental to know what mixed bay is. <laughs> but she was never going to do any of that stuff. Well, but I, I grew up hearing all that. But let, let me give you another definition. When the world breaks covenants, God's people don't. When the world, when they adopt stuff and go shallow, the church does not. When the world stops parroting, your Christian church men and women, moms and dads, do not. When the world turns their kids over to the world to raise, men and women of God do not. When, when nobody else can be faithful, God's people are. When nobody else can keep the word, God's people keeps their word. You don't adopt the world in here. You don't, cheap, you don't talk about one another like the world does. You don't degrade one another like the world. That, that the church don't do that. You, in fact, the bar is that you know what you do for one another? greater, no greater love. And so the, what's going to happen, friends, I can tell you, and that's one reason I think the Lord gave me this message, is because you, this stuff doesn't happen overnight, but we have to get it in place and have to start, because the, the, the light of the church is going to get brighter and brighter and brighter as everything gets darker and darker and darker. So you can't be like the world. You can't have those values. You can't, kind of, you, you got to take a stand on the word of God and on what's true and right and be that person. It's going to be more and more important because we all going to end up, we have to have these friends, these encouragers. And I watch them sometimes get treated so unimportant. When some of the people God's brought into your life can be some of the most important people you'll ever have. You need to cherish them. You need to honor them. You need to have something inside of you that says, this is a valuable gift to me. You'd have to go back a few years, and some of you are old enough to remember this. You have to go back to the 50s and 60s. 
There's a guy named Jackie Robinson. How many of you remember Jackie Robinson? Yep. Jackie was the first. He played in the 50s and 60s. He was the first black man to play Major League Baseball. His first season was the Brooklyn Dodgers. And he faced the most outlandish, incredible onslaught. Pitchers threw fastballs at his head. Runners spiked him on bases. They had all kind of epitaphs and all kind of signs up in the stadium. Even when he went to his hometown, Brooklyn, they saw him as just an object of reproach and made fun as well. One time at a game in Boston, things just got elevated extremely high. To add to that, he had made a couple of mistakes. And so he really was the focus that day. <clears throat> Finally, uh, another guy just couldn't take it anymore. He happened to be, he was a Dodger, Southern guy, white guy by the name of Pee Wee Reese. Pee Wee called a timeout. He called a timeout. He walked from the position of shortstop toward Robinson, who was on second base. When he got there, he simply put his arm, stood together, looked at the audience, almost as if to say, I dare you to keep on. Everything dialed down until it was totally quiet. Took his arm off, went back, started the ball game. Not a big deal, huh? I mean, you're just talking about holding a rope. I mean, you're not talking about a high level of expertise. Anybody can do this. Robinson said that day, that moment, is what kept him in the game. If that hadn't happened, he's out of quit. How important is it at the right time, this friend, this people, these rope holders step in? And again, it's not complicated. It's bringing a meal. It's going to visit somebody. It's having encouraging work. I cannot tell you. I, when I was preparing this, I thought back. And there's just so many, I can't even get into them. I'm seriously, they're just too many. I thought about so many Sundays leaving here. Getting a phone call. And somebody said, Mike, that really helped me. I said, you're kidding me. I thought it was a foul ball. No. No, in my world, it's a home run. Well, I reckon I'll have to show up next Sunday. <laughs> On a Monday. You probably don't know this, but Mondays are quitting day for pastors. On a Monday, you get a text or get a call. Mike, I just want to tell you how much I appreciate you. You're kidding me. Nah, I do. I appreciate you. Well, next Sunday comes. Dean says, Mike, Come on, you got to go to church. I'm not going. Yep, you got to go to church. Mike, they expect. He says, no, I'm not going. Come on, Mike, you got to go. No. Mike, get out from under that bed. You've got to go to church. <laughs> All right, I'll go for one more time. Then you look around, and because of all of you rope holders, we stay in the game. You're incredibly important, friends. And could I just take a moment and say to every one of you, thank you for being a rope holder for Dean and I. 
Y'all have done just such a great job. All right, the second personality I want to look at just real quickly is the crowd. Because the crowd, and I already mentioned this, the crowd has a personality of its own. And I, I can almost, I can almost taste what I'm telling you, what I'm about to tell you, and I almost feel it. Because I have walked into places in church, and you have too. But when you walk in, there is, a, there is an atmosphere, there is a culture that's not accepting. I mean, there's a culture that you don't feel like you belong. There's a culture that you feel on the outside. There's a culture that somehow some people feel better than you. Anybody ever felt what I'm talking to you about? It's that personality. It's that kind of collective thing that these guys had. And, and the poor guy was paralyzed. They couldn't get him in. And they would not make room for him. When we first started the church, again, I beat this thing when we first started the church. It was like a drum. I know, I know they got tired of it. But I, I would say to them, if the church is ever full and you're saved and somebody else comes in, you have just lost your seat. You don't join this church to have a seat. You join this church to lose your seat. Because you're going to make room for somebody else to come who maybe don't know Jesus, who's on a stretcher, and the rope holders are bringing him. And when they bring him, friends, those of us who are already in the fold, we get out of the way. I said, the parking lot's ever full and no place to park. You, you're saved? You're already in the kingdom? Yeah. You park in the back 40, and you leave those front spots to those people who are coming who may not know the Lord. I mean, I, I beat that thing like a drum. And I said, when you... <laughs> I said... I know they thought it. I don't know what they thought. When I'd say to them, I said, when you come and you accept Jesus, now you're already in the fold. When you come out next Sunday, you go to work. You don't come here and sit. When you just got saved, you got a job. There's a calling and a gift on your life, and we're going to do this together, but it takes everybody to do it. You got to come out of the stands and get down on the playing field to get the job done. This is not a come sit and soak and look and enjoy and not do anything. I read that message is still true, huh? You know, there's a lifeguard convention in New Orleans. They had a guy there who was 31 years old. His name was Jerome Moody. He fell in the swimming pool and drowned. What's interesting about this is in New Orleans, in that swimming pool, in that motel, they had over 200 lifeguards in, att in attendance for a lifeguard convention. You don't think there's ever anybody that drowned in the church, do you? While well, several hundred or thousand people were in close proximity? Hmm. Just ask yourself. Did, oh, did a parallel man see Jesus? Oh, yeah. Paralyzed? Yeah, he saw Jesus. They cut a hole in the roof and they made it work. Friends. Tony Campolo writes about an experience he had at a convention in Hawaii. He said he got there and he was, had jet lag. And so at about 2 in the morning, he couldn't sleep. So he said he gets up and starts walking down the street. He said, created a greasy spoon across the street. And so he walks over there. <clears throat> he said, having a cup of coffee. And he said, these ladies at the night come in. And they're sitting at the bar and they're talking. And he's not oh, trying to listen, but they're loud enough he can hear them. 
And here's one of them tell the story about she's going to have a birthday the next week. And, I mean, excuse me, the next day. And uh, she never has had a birthday cake or a birthday party. It's just in conversation. So they leave. So Tony has an idea. So he finds the owner and the cook and says, why don't we have a birthday cake and a party tomorrow night when she comes in? Said, so did she stop in every night? I said, pretty well, every night. So they had the cake ready and they had a party and ended up being a fairly life-changing event. And so after it was all over and the woman was just totally a basket case that somebody had done this, the cook finally said, who are you anyway? Said Tony. Said, are you a minister? He said, well, I happen to be, yes. And he says, uh, well, what kind of church do you belong to? Tony said, I thought for a moment, he said, you ever had the time where the perfect words came to you? He said, it was just like the perfect words came to me. And he said, I said this back to the cook. He says, well, I belong to a church that throws birthday parties for prostitutes at three in the morning. (laughs) Cook said, no, you don't. He said, yes, I do. Then the cook said this back. If you did, I'd want to be a part of that church. Me too. I want to be part of that church. Third personality is the cripple himself. One thing we have to realize to get the true impact of this story in Scripture is that back in those days, and still some in our day, erroneous as it is, and an era as it is, is still a lot of people believe it. And that is that your theology went right along beside how well you were doing in life. So if you were not doing very well in life, it's because God had an issue with you. If you had something wrong with you, it's because God was punishing you. That's the reason why the disciples asked Jesus when they came up to the blind person. Now, it wasn't the scribes and Pharisees asking. It was the disciples of Jesus who asked him, all right, what did this guy do wrong? Did he do something wrong Is the reason he's blind? Or was his parents did something wrong and now it's come down generationally? Who messed up? That was the question from the disciples of Jesus. And then Jesus had a moment to straighten out that theology. He says, nobody did anything wrong. But you know, a lot of people still believe that. That God punishes people like that. Just not true. Just not true, friends. If I could explain something to a lot of people, it would be around the subject of what happened at the fall when Adam and Eve and they sinned. And when mankind fell, the whole genetic part of man fell by sin. So every cell in our body became impure. And so before we were in the image of God to the degree that if we had babies back in those days, they had none of the fall associated with them before the fall. But after the fall, every child that was born was born in sin. Are y'all following me? With the genetics also a part of a fallen world. And that's the reason why people are born imperfect. That's the reason why the gene stuff happen and you have stuff happen. It's don't ever think that God sets up in heaven and says, this is what's going to happen and this is what I'm punishing you with. That's not it. God didn't do that. He'd never do that. Anyway, so this guy, a lot of people thought because he was paralyzed that he had done something wrong, obviously, and they judged him that way. And he probably felt it. And what have you done wrong? So bad that you're paralyzed. 
And I don't know, you know if you're around people who believe stuff about you so long, you start believing sometimes the same thing? I wonder if he didn't start believing at some point, I must have done something wrong. I mean, this would not, why, didn't, why me? What did I do? And what we know is we can see the reaction of Jesus to him. Because if he had done something wrong, he would have straightened him out. But he didn't. As a matter of fact, Jesus went to a deeper level. When Jesus responded back to this man, he didn't deal with the external. He dealt with the internal. You know the first thing Jesus said to him? He said, I know you're struggling. I'm paraphrasing. I know you're struggling. And exterior, there's some real challenges. I, I know that. But you know probably the bigger issue that you don't realize is your inside stuff is going on. Not only are you paralyzed outside, you're paralyzed on the inside. And your disconnect from God is causing that paralysis. And so life can't flow into you. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to pronounce your sins are forgiven and your relationship with God now can happen and life can flow into you. Meaning and purpose can be yours now. You can live. You can live on the inside. First problem taken care of. Now that we got that taken care of, let's deal with the outside. And so then he healed the guy. Nothing of correction, nothing of condemnation in the least. Now, I want, to, I want to end by reading a scripture out of the book of Isaiah. <clears throat> Put it up on the screen here. <clears throat> this is, Matthew quotes this, but it's from Isaiah. And it's talking about when the Messiah comes. It's talking about the nature of this Messiah, the nature of God, who's going to come. And when he comes, he uses this phrase. <clears throat> he says, a reed, a bruised reed. Now, he's, in that language, he's talking to shepherds. And what they would do out while they were watching their sheep, sheep, they would get a reed, not a green one, but they would get one that was, was a little getting on the ripe side of things. And they would bend it because it was bendable. And they would bend it and begin to roll it up, have the middle hollow. Then they would put holes in it, and it would become a flute. And they would play music. But if you wrapped it too tight or it wasn't quite ripe enough and you picked the wrong one, then as you put the hole in, it would split the reed. It would split the reed, you would throw it away because you got a lot more reeds, just a bush. But he used this phrase, Isaiah says, that when that happens, when the Messiah comes and these people are like reeds, what you need to know is he'll never throw you back. Huh? He'll fix you. Then it says there's lamps, and the lamps have a little wick. And it burns okay for a while, but after you burn for a while, it, it gets carbonized, and just a little bit of it can burn, so it's a real dim, flickering light. And so what the shepherd would do is be throw the wick away, get a new wick stick in there, and light it up. But again, the parallel is that when the Messiah comes, the Jesus who is here now, when he comes, he won't take that flickering wick that feels so weak, so insignificant, so powerless, so much like the paralyzed man could not do anything. He, he won't just throw it away and discard it. He won't like the apostle Paul who was helpless and had to have four people to let him down to freedom. That's what he will do. 
He will be there in that moment and he will not throw you away. Now, Mike, why is that so important? Well, it's important because a lot of times the way he works is through other people in that regard. He'll send rope holders by. He'll send somebody by who just has the arm that you need. And by the way, again, I just want to reiterate this. This is, this is not, sometimes I think people feel like to do certain stuff, you, you got to be something different. No, no. This is about something anybody can do. And this is about simply being available. So I want you, if you would, bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment. <clears throat> I want to just take a moment and listen. Father, we just pray in these closing moments of this service. I just pray that every person who in the sound of my voice online or maybe sitting in this audience, and they feel this sense of powerlessness. Maybe they're in a place and they just feel stuck. Maybe emotionally they feel spent. Maybe they feel burnt out. Maybe they've been in situations where people, they feel like people have discarded them. I pray, Holy Spirit, that same grace that you ministered to that paralyzed man, I pray that same spirit would minister now to people who are in the sound of my voice. And I pray you would breathe your life into them. And I'm, I'm going, as your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, I'm going to make this pronouncement. And uh, then I'm going to ask you if you want to receive that, just to lift your hand. But here's how I'm going to do it. I'm going to make a pronouncement over you that because I know the Bible says anybody that asks for forgiveness, that Jesus will forgive you. That he died on the cross for every single one of you and so I know if you'll ask him, he'll forgive you of your sins and come into your heart. So what I'm going to say to you now is this, just like Jesus did, by his authority. May your sins be forgiven for every person who requested. So if right now, if you want to say, forgive my sins, Lord, I want to walk out of here with a clean slate. Right where you are online, you just lift your hand. Just let me agree with you. I agree with you that right now as you ask in your heart, yes, sir, that as you ask that he'll forgive you. Anybody else right here? He'll forgive your sins. Come on, just ask him to forgive you and he'll do it. Anybody else? All right, in the balcony right here. Another one in the balcony, another one. Just ask them, Father, in Jesus' name right now, as they open their hearts, I minister your grace right over here. In Jesus' name. Everybody, would you just pray this prayer with me? Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart and be my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. But give them a guy, give those guys a hand. <clears throat> Why don't y'all stand with me and let's worship with this song before we exit. You know, when I talk about something like this and I have my friend Keith Brace on the front here,
As a veteran, fought for this country. Yeah, give my hand. <clears throat> and when he tells the stories about being in battle and the camaraderie and, and how they're there protecting each other and, and literally giving their life for each other. And one thing I hear often from these guys is how much they miss that once they're out. Well, you know where that should be the highest? It should not be in the armed service. I mean, it should be there. But in addition to that, it should be in the church of Jesus Christ. We should be the soldiers. We should be the faithful men and women to stand together, stand back to back and fight together. You watch my back, I'll watch your back. I'll protect you, you protect me. We're one, it's a family of God, we're one in the kingdom, yes? That's where it should be the strongest. So here's what I'd like to ask you to do. I want you to think through, just go through your life and think through a few rope holders that God has used in your life. And would you send them a note this week or give them a call, whatever's convenient for you. And you just simply said, you know, I, I'm not treating this lightly as if it's just a coincidence. I recognize God used you and I want to tell you thank you. Did you do that? And the second thing is, would you simply keep your eyes open for the next time you feel that nudge and there's just somebody and it may just be opening the door. It may be just an arm around. It may just be picking up their tab in the line. But would you be open to the promptings of God when he says to you, I need a rope holder? And would you say, I'm available? Yes? Lord bless you. Lord keep you. Lord cause his face to shine upon you. I bless you as you go in Jesus' name. Have a great week, everybody. You've been listening to the Cathedral Podcast. If you were encouraged by today's message, leave us a rating and hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you have any questions about today's message or just want to reach out, send an email to questions at cathedralemail.com. Thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. Have a blessed week.